welcome to the Logic and Larry podcast. I'm your host, Larry Crane, Larry Luciato Crane. Some might say if you're on my artistic side, everything I say in this podcast is just my personal opinion as a personal private individual. I don't speak in my capacity in any job. I don't speak for anybody else. I don't speak for any entity. The positions I take are just my personal opinions, not the positions of any other entity. It's another Friday, which means it's another day of me and you and the mic and the music discussing current events, news, politics, and all the same, all of those things. This week is a pre-recorded version, so those of you on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, all of those apps, you won't notice much of a difference because you're downloading anyway, except you'll notice that uh, maybe my vibe's a little different. Not too much, though. Or maybe that we don't have the same callers as usual, because we don't have any callers. That is just because I'm taking a week or two off from the live shows. Everybody needs a Friday night once in a while, right? We had a long year, which isn't over yet. We had a long and grueling election season. I was with you every Friday live with my boy Sean Bracken, with Rick, with all the other amazing people who call in and who comment every week. And we will be getting back to that very shortly. When I come back, uh, it's either next week or in two weeks live. I will have Sean on again. We will do a post-mortem on the polling. We'll do a post-mortem on the election itself. We'll do a post-mortem on our predictions. And we'll do all that. I don't want to call it a post-mortem as if it's a negative thing. We are transitioning to a new administration. Hopefully, uh, the future is bright for a country that once again has conducted a fair and free election. And although we'll have some stumbling blocks, as we appear to be having now, I think we will once again have another peaceful transfer of power, which is something to pride ourselves on in this country. And uh, I'm broadcasting to you from Newark, New Jersey. Broad Street is busy. It's foggy out. We had kind of a warm couple days. The beginning of this week was, and then even the end of last week was, was warm. It was in the 70s. It was sunny. It was kind of hot in my apartment. And now it's back to fall, November weather. Gray out, a little foggy, misty with the rain. A little cool out. But hey, that's what we've come to expect in the Northeast in this time of year. Now, if you're not listening from the Northeast in this time of year, I wonder what it's like for you and if it's like November. Hopefully it is. Unfortunately, the United States continues to pass grim milestones, and and it's interesting, right, because during the election it was so easy to kind of get distracted by the election, politics, and and coronavirus and COVID-19 kind of got further away from our minds and our collective consciousness. But in hindsight, or not in hindsight, now that that's over and we are now uh, just back into the throes of the fall and post-election, Unfortunately, you know, we all know that COVID-19 continues to pass grim milestones. There are, I believe, I don't know what it is today. I think yesterday it was over 224,000 deaths in the U.S. since the beginning of COVID-19. 
Uh, it continues to climb. Hospitals in Utah are actually overwhelmed by what's happening. And several states are reinstituting curfews and reinstituting uh, restrictions, unfortunately, for business owners and unfortunately for citizens in New York and New Jersey. There's now a curfew for outdoor and indoor dining. You have to close your bars and restaurants to indoor and outdoor dining no later than 10 p.m. every night. That's starting tonight. That's New York and New Jersey statewide. So any hopes of having a fun Friday night or a fun Saturday night or watching the Sunday night or the Saturday night college games or the Monday night game in your favorite bar till after 10 or snuggling up with a date till after uh, 10 is, is not in the cards for anybody in the New York metropolitan area anytime soon. It's unfortunate, but it's necessary. I would say at least we're not at a point in New York, New Jersey, where they are ordering all indoor dining and all restaurants closed. And it doesn't seem at this juncture to be as dire in terms of the lockdowns as it was earlier in the year. Of course, that being said, you know, some places continue to push forward and it kind of seems interesting, right? I mean, you... We went to ultra lockdown mode early in the pandemic. Truly, we didn't know much about what was going on. We didn't have the medical understanding, so it was maybe a little bit more abrupt. But nonetheless, we were on a harder lockdown then when the numbers were a little low. And now you see some industries and some facets of society and government still pressing forward despite even higher surges in the fall, which was always expected. Um, but I guess that's how things are. That's human nature. It's hard to get people to say, you know, to go back to a full-out lockdown at this juncture. Although that might be, you know, logically speaking and, you know, analytically speaking might be the best way to to quell this latest surge. But I don't know that any of us have the appetite for that. And that's especially true with the holidays, right? We're telling people to limit their family gatherings, but... You know, Thanksgiving's coming, Christmas is coming. It's it's hard for human beings to, to do that. Uh, you know, we already, most football stadiums aren't allowing people in, although thank God we have football, college and the NFL. Due to the hard work and, you know, grueling, really grueling hard work and concentration of all the players and coaches in that industry. And, you know, I have a, a person very near and dear to my heart who's in that industry and, you know, he's got to get tested every day. He's he's responsible for a lot of young men and their health as well as their, you know, playing careers and, and, and as students um, at, a, at a very important and prestigious institution. And so, you know, them being on the field, you know, partly to the bear, their benefit, but largely to the nation's benefit, since it's such a national pastime, is a sacrifice and it's it's hard for them to do and it and it's a lot of work but they're they're doing it um but you know we can't be at the games and now we are supposed to limit our family gatherings which is the right thing to do it's the smart thing to do but it's hard to do uh, what i would say is if you're gonna have a family gathering you know if you have a member of your family who's especially vulnerable to COVID 19 who has pre-existing conditions or uh, other risk factors like old age, obesity, things of that nature, uh, then you should probably, I know they want to be part of it and you want to see them too, but maybe they sit in a different room and, and get a plate for them 
and keep your distance. Make sure they're wearing a mask. Make sure you're wearing a mask. Keep them safe. Or simply, you have to miss the holiday this year or have them miss the holiday this year. Or if you've been exposed to people and you don't want to get them sick, you maybe maybe stay away. It's sad, but it's it's where we are right now. Um, and, and it's unfortunate, right? Because I, th- I think we could have handled things better in this country. Uh, much better. And I, I don't, maybe, you know, who knows? Who can really tell? But maybe, maybe we would have been in a better place had we done that, you know. And we wouldn't be facing this uptick now in the fall. But this is just like happened in 1918. We, we all said it, right? It's, it's one of those things, right? Those historical things. And I, I keep harping on history and, and historical precedent and, and, and why we go based on history and what we can expect in the future based on the past and our understanding of the past. And this is a prime example, right? They've been saying since the beginning of COVID-19. Since the beginning of COVID-19, we've been hearing that 1918, the Spanish flu as it's called, was way worse in the fall months, and that when soldiers came home from war and the holiday season hit in the fall and there was fatigue from quarantining in the spring, things got much worse in the fall. So we knew that was going to happen now. And they warned us the summer, it's going to trickle taper off a little bit, but then in the fall, it's going to resurge and it's going to be probably worse. So we knew that was going to happen and it's happening, but, but it's so interesting with human beings that regardless of how much they're supposed to learn from the past or how much we think we can learn from the past or how much some of us pay attention to the lessons of the past, (laughs) we still tend to repeat the same cycles and the same patterns and the same behaviors uh, that that we showed in the past and or demonstrate however whatever i can't be that eloquent right now for some reason maybe it's too early for me i got an espresso in my hand Uh, i don't have a a spirit or something else and uh you know maybe i'm not as eloquent or riffing as smoothly as i usually do i apologize for that um but look, we didn't learn. We learned the lessons to an extent, but but we're seeing the same thing we did in 1918, and it's a shame because all jokes aside, right, and all first world problems and melodramatic discussion about our Thanksgiving holiday or our spectator sports, the truth of the matter is that people are dying from this disease. People are dying from this pandemic. People are losing their lives where lives did not have to be lost. Right. And, and this the maybe one of the biggest issues with this pandemic and, and one of the things that is only somewhat spoken of, but should be spoken of much more is the fact that people of color are much more likely, it seems, to be dying from this disease, this virus, than white people in this country. And I think the attitude of some in charge and the attitude, the blasé attitude of some people who take it lightly or don't consider it to be a problem or act as if it's an inconvenience to their life rather than something to take seriously, I think is a expose. It's an expose of the systemic 
attitudes and, and the, the underlying subconscious racism that exists in this country. Because I guarantee you that if it was the reverse, things would be looked at differently. And that's a sad thing to say, and I know that's a hefty accusation. But I think it's undeniably true, and it's, it's sad, and it's something we need to grapple with. And, uh, you know, so many people that I know of color have really got been hit hard by this. They, they've lost members of their family. They've been living in consistent fear of it. And, and I've known, like, my neighbor who passed away, and he wasn't unhealthy, you know, when he was younger. And it doesn't mean that people not of color aren't dying because they're dying too. And it doesn't mean people not of color aren't concerned because they are. Um, and it doesn't mean that everybody of color is taken seriously because they're not all taken seriously either. I mean, this is nothing can be ever boiled down to race only on its face. But but it's irresponsible and would be disingenuous to ignore the disparate uh way in which this virus is attacking based on race due to a lot of systemic inequality in this country. And it's, it's, it's a sad state of affairs. So for all of these reasons, I, I pray and, and wish, even though I'm not that religious, I am spiritual and I'm, and I'm praying to a higher power that we get through this sooner rather than later and we overcome it. This year has been dark in a lot of ways. This year has been frightening in a lot of ways. This year has exacerbated many of our feelings of isolation. It has exacerbated our brain drain in terms of the furtherance of conspiracy theories, in terms of more and more people spending more and more time online, throwing this information back and forth misinformation, I should say, and it's accelerated a lot of the negative aspects of our society, and I hope that we can get back to a sunny place, that the clouds will part, and that in 2021, we can start this decade, the 20s, the 20s, which are going to be probably a foundational decade of our lives and our generations. Get the 20s rolling and roaring, some might say. In, in the right way, and I'm hopeful of that. Now, we already have news that the Pfizer vaccine is has over a 90% success rate. I was told by somebody who I know who's in the medical research industry, who's highly educated in medicine, that the over 90% effectiveness rate is a misleading term. I don't know exactly why. I'll get more information on that. And perhaps on one of the live shows, she could call and tell us. Um, but regardless, look, it's looking promising. And then a few other vaccine companies have said that their vaccines are looking promising. So we very well may wind up in 2021. I've heard close to the end of the second quarter of 2021, maybe third quarter. So spring, summertime of 2021, really starting to get the vaccine distributed at a higher level. And we may well start to see... Um, the vaccines start to be distributed and the, the effects of this pandemic and the fears of this pandemic start to subside to an extent, which would be absolutely everything to all of us. So I'm hoping the clouds do part and I'm hoping 
we do get off on the right foot. It's been an interesting year. It, it brought me to you. It started this podcast. It, it told us a lot about ourselves. It'll be foundational and pivotal for the rest of our lives. But I'm glad to see the year winding to an end, and I'm glad to see the... Um, the vaccines rising up and perhaps for no other reason than just a sense of transition and change to see the government changing over as well. And hopefully the guys coming in and the girls coming in have some good solutions for our problems. All that being said, I'm in no way downplaying the current upsurge of this virus and the fact that many people are at risk and many people have lost their lives and many more will lose their lives, which is very concerning and sad and very serious. All that being said, look, we're, we're still post-election, yet we don't have a concession from the president. Donald Trump has still not conceded. He's continued to file a series of mostly frivolous, although some of the lawsuits have some merit. They are not at the level, you know, regarding the amount of ballots in question uh, to actually change the outcome of the election overall, nor are they at the level to change the election in any one state. But he continues to file these lawsuits. He continues to do this. He continues not to concede the election. And, you know, no matter who you voted for, whether you voted for Trump or you didn't vote for Trump or you voted third party or didn't vote at all. Right. That's one thing. But at this juncture, right. Again, going back to learning things from history. Right. We should learn from 1918, but it was hard for us to do it. We should learn from human history in terms of every empire that ever existed, right? From the Greek city-states to the Roman Empire to Germany in the 30s to Italy in the 30s to literally countries across the globe right now. Every society in human history has been at one point or another susceptible to tyranny and at one point or another susceptible to losing their democratic or republican, little r republican, I mean, status. And to succumbing to the whims of autocracy uh, and tyranny and absolutism. And I find it very disturbing, right, as a student of history, not only what's going on right now with Donald Trump, who refuses to concede the election, and not only can refuses to concede the election, but continues to put misinformation out there that threatens to undermine the people's faith in our free elections. This is a common, this is a very common thing, right? If you know anything about history, the primary way in which autocrats assume power is to sow unrest, sow lack of faith and distrust in the electoral system or the political system of a country and undermine its legitimacy while elevating their own legitimacy through misinformation and propaganda. This is nothing new, right? This is, this is so textbook. This is like the seasons change from fall to winter to spring to summer. Like the year will tick down December 31st into January 1st. Like the sun will set at night and rise in the morning. This is textbook human history, societal evolution, or you might say societal degradation. This is 
something we've seen time and time again and continue to see. And I find it particularly disturbing, though perhaps not surprising since it is so anticipatable, that so many people don't seem to understand that what's going on right now is the usurpation, is the at least the attempted usurpation, the attempted delegitimization of our free elections and of our free society. And it's sad that it's going this way. Now, if there was a legitimate case where there could have been systemic fraud and perhaps an election could have been stolen or there was a, a small margin in a single state due to said fraud and Trump wanted to challenge it, he's well within his right to challenge it, okay, under the law. However, if it's just a litany of throw things at the wall and see if they stick, while simultaneously spreading misinformation about our elections, then that's egregiously insidious is what it is. And I talked about this last week. It's insidious, right? Because it was planned from the beginning. I voted by mail. So my vote is fraudulent? No. How many of you voted by mail? Are your votes fraudulent? No. The fact is that Trump lost a free and fair election because more voters in key states and nationally chose him over President Trump. Period. Period. And and, and if you look at what Trump's trying to do, he's, he's floated the idea, reports say he's floated the idea of trying to have Republican legislators, legislatures in states appoint electoral college voters who would be faithless electors and would pick him instead of Biden. How is that not tyranny? How is that not a dictator move? Trying to subvert the will of the people? How is that not concerning to some people? How are more Republicans, prominent Republicans in the Senate and in the country not speaking out vehemently and passionately against it? At some point, you have to put your will or desire to get reelected and your desire to be likable to Trump's base aside and have some guts, some nuts and a spine and stand up for your country and the principles the country was founded upon. And it's a, it's disgraceful that more people aren't doing it. It's disgraceful because it's sowing seeds of unrest and it's sowing the beginning of the end of a great country if it's allowed to fester like a disease within our public dialogue and our political conversation. That's just the fact, okay? It's bad enough that all this misinformation's been circulating more and more and more and more. If you, if you don't have a knowledgeable voter base, if they're voting based on patent falsehoods or fantasies, rather than the actuality of the issues before them, then the democracy is doomed. It's doomed. So this continued cycle of misinformation and lies is... is it's so vexing and it should be extremely troubling to anybody who cares about this country or about living in a free society in general. Does anybody want to live under a dictatorship or one party rule or ruled by people who are A, in the minority in terms of numbers and B, believe in patent falsehoods? I don't think that that's a dystopian nightmare for the ages. And it's happened before. Hopefully it wasn't won't happen again. Luckily, we have strong institutions in this country and strong enough people that we don't allow it to happen. But how often can this occur? How much longer can this go on? And how much worse can this get and still have us withstand 
these threats. That's what I want. So Arizona's now been called for Biden by everybody, right? So it's it's done. And Arizona went in. It's a Republican state. Arizona already went back and audited, and they said, look, there's no discrepancies, and Arizona is almost impossible to get a recount. So it's over in Arizona. And with Arizona and Nevada alone, plus the other states, the Hillary states, Biden wins anyway, okay? Pennsylvania, the legislature's already said, look, we're not going to have any role in trying to usurp the majority or the will of the Pennsylvanian people by changing the vote for Trump, even though they're a Republican legislature. There's lawsuits in Pennsylvania, but Biden's ahead by over 50,000 votes, I'm pretty sure. So that's that's not going anywhere. And then you have a recount that's happening in Georgia. It's going to be a manual recount. But again, that's a Republican-run state. And the Republican Secretary of State has already said that they're going to go through, do an audit, you know, a count and a recheck all at once so that once it comes out again the second time, there's no question as to the validity of the election. And Biden's up by over 15,000 or over 14,000 there. So the likelihood of that being reversed is, is almost nil, okay? What's insane is that the secretary and state of, of state in Georgia is being called upon to resign by prominent Republicans in the state of Georgia. Why should he resign exactly? He's supposed to resign because they lost an election? What kind of message is that? Are, are they insinuating that unless their party wins, then the person in charge should quit because they're not supposed to preside over free and fair elections, but are supposed to make sure that their side wins? That doesn't sound very democratic to me. That sounds insidious. That sounds irredeemable, quite frankly. I don't think that people who advocate for this type of thing should be tolerated intellectually by the rest of us, quite frankly. Because it is anti-American and it's anti-democratic, period. That's what I never understood, right? All these people who claim to be the biggest patriots in the world are the ones who almost love to do things that are the most unpatriotic things possible, right? The people out there with the don't tread on me flags, if they get treaded on by Trump, all of a sudden they're saying, please tread on me, Trump, tread all over me, tread all over our institutions, tread all over our free elections, tread on me, tread on me. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's supposed to be don't tread on me. Don't tread on me means don't friggin usurp my freedom, okay? Don't take over my democracy. That's what it means. I don't want a king. We're not going to be ruled by England. We're not going to be ruled by a dictator. We're not going to be ruled without representation. Okay? We're not going to be taxed without representation. It's the exact opposite of what they're advocating for now if they're supporting the actions of Donald Trump right now. And I don't mean supporting fair and free litigation. I mean trying to usurp and sow doubt in our free elections and in our democracy. Okay? You're not a patriot because you wave a flag and you have pictures of bald eagles as your Facebook photo, okay? That's not patriotism. I love bald eagle pictures, but I'm simultaneously supporting the destruction of bald eagle habitat on public lands for oil drilling. That's not patriotism, bro. That's just some nonsensical symbolism, nationalistic propensity that appeals to your cultural identity on a deeper level. That's not real patriotism, which is belief in the institutions and principles of this country. Period. Period. So I'm sick and tired of hearing that. Now, interestingly, interestingly, the, NS, the Department of Homeland Security, DHS, 
came out with a statement which involved all these other members, prominent members of other agencies, just yesterday, last night, came out with a memo, basically a statement, addressed to the people of this country, which stated, and I've posted it and I'll post it again, which stated that this is and has been the most secure and the fairest election we've ever had in this country. And that if you are looking for information on the sanctity of the election and on the security and validity of the election, to go to trusted people who were charged with protecting the legitimacy and security of the election, not those who sow seeds of doubt and misinformation. This was a big step, right? Because technically, these agencies are all under the purview of the president of the United States. They're under the executive branch of government. And so for them to come out and essentially refute everything that Trump is saying was a big step. But that's precisely why I have faith in this country's endurance. That's precisely why I have faith in this country's ability to recover from this and to continue forward and to have a peaceful transfer of power. Because institutions like that are not going to back down in the face of lies and misinformation. The fact is, because of the foreign threats that arose last cycle, and because of their continued attempts to thwart and to infiltrate our elections, and because of the, the mail-in voting and the COVID-19 crisis and all the rhetoric leading up to the election, DHS and other agencies made specifically sure, specifically sure, that this election would be free and fair. And they are telling us that it was free and fair, and that there is no indication of widespread fraud or irregularity in the election. And that's huge. And that's true, too. Right. Let's look at Election Day. Election Day went off pretty well. Everybody, look, everybody got their ballots. They sent their ballots in pre-election day. They got a chance to correct them in some states if there was some issue with them. People showed up on Election Day. The lines were less crazy because so many people had voted earlier. They got the chance to vote. Turnout is at a, a one of the highest turnouts we've had since 1900. So many people got out to voice their opinion. The majority has clearly spoken. And there was no, aside from the people who went to go try to attack the poor poll workers in Philadelphia who were counting votes, doing their job, Republicans and Democrats, mind you, who the people, aside from people trying to plot to assault or kill them, which is the most undemocratic, insidious thing you could do, aside from that... There was really no problems nationwide on voting day. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Not every country gets to do that. Not every country, in not every country do people have the freedom to go unaccosted and place votes and return home peacefully in a matter of minutes and have their voice count. And that's how it went. So the fact that somebody's trying to now turn around and say that we didn't have a free election or a fair election. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Disgusting. And I'm glad that DHS came out the way they did. Now, you have Trump firing people in the Defense Department, firing people in DHS, just firing people left and right. And I, no one really knows what his end game is, right? Is it to try to do something, you know, within the administrations or within the agencies that could be detrimental or is it something for his own public agenda his his own image is it just retribution for no good reason no one really knows but he continues to do this he continues to stay in a bunker and, and what's what's 
equally as egregious is COVID is surging at all time levels, as I mentioned earlier in the show. And people are dying. In Utah, they're almost at the end of their intensive care beds. They almost don't have any more beds. In Utah, that's a, and he's always saying, oh, it's Democrat states. I don't, this is a red state. And it shouldn't matter what, what color state it is, if states had colors, which they don't. It shouldn't matter which state or city it is. They're all Americans, as are people in Puerto Rico, by the way. But I'm not going to get there right now. But they're all Americans. And in Utah, which is a, which is a red state, which voted for Trump, they're, they're almost out of beds. And one of the most egregious things is that the person who's still the president, Trump's still the president until January 20th, no matter what happens, has been just silent. The only thing he's doing is tweeting out things to try to undermine our free elections and discredit one of our best achievements, which is free and fair elections. Instead of doing anything about COVID or coming out and speaking about COVID or trying to reassure people about COVID or trying to ensure a seamless transition so that we're protected from all threats, foreign and domestic, including COVID, Instead of doing that, he's just sitting in his bunker stewing about his own personal defeat. It's just so sad to see as an American. I don't care what party you are. I don't care who you voted for, Trump or Biden or whoever. As an American citizen, it's sad to see. It's, it's a disgrace and it's a disappointment. It just is. It's objectively, logically, which is what we always are in the show, objectively and logically looking at it. It is just a sad, sad, sad state of affairs. And we continue to deal with it. And, and if you have any... Look, the other thing, Trump trying to usurp the election, he's losing by over 5 million votes in the popular vote. It's one thing to try to claim legitimacy when the majority voted for you, you know, but the states didn't, which I would still say was subversive in trying to uh, attack our free elections if somebody tried to do that. If Hillary had tried to do that, I would have said the same thing about her. But it's even worse, <laughs> some might argue, from an abstract viewpoint, when you're trying to do it when the popular vote has been so considerably large. And why is it that large? Well, maybe one of the reasons is this COVID pandemic. We need leadership. We are in dark days and it gets worse and worse. And there's a vacuum of leadership in the White House. And it's gotten worse since the election. Not that it was ever really a clear, you know, leadership during COVID-19 before the election. But it's worse now, and it, it's sad to see. And I, I said, for, on my personal life, look, it's one thing. If you vote for whoever, that's fine. I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm not going to dislike you. I'm not going to not talk to you. Whoever you voted for, whatever party you're in, who you like, who you don't like, that's your business. But people who are actively participating in the usurpation of our election or who actively are trying to discredit the validity of our election with no proof or actively trying to spread misinformation, which threatens the sanctity of our free society, those people I don't have any patience for. And, and, and because my page maybe and, uh, you know, other things like my, my podcast and the dialogue that takes place in those mediums is a platform of sorts, though I'm not claiming that it's anything huge. It is a, a small platform. I, I've removed people who it's one thing to have a logical discussion, but I've removed people who are feeding that misinformation, who are feeding damaging uh, narratives 
out there. I, I've cut them off from my platforms, and I will continue to do it because while I'm all about free speech and I'm all about uh, the free exchange of information and the free exchange of ideas and opinions, and I, I hate, can't stand cancel culture on, on either side, I have to be honest with you. I can't allow people to use any of my platforms to peddle misinformation, which is damaging to the national psyche, which is damaging to our society. I can't do it anymore. I allowed too much of it to proliferate, although I checked every bit of it during the COVID, uh, the beginning of the COVID situation when people were peddling misinformation about that. But I will not tolerate it in terms of our free elections. I won't. And so some people have been removed. And they will continue to be removed unless they come to me and, you know, state that they, they want to rectify their behavior. Otherwise, they're, they're cut off. I, you can have a free exchange of ideas. You can say you love Donald Trump. You could say you, you don't care about COVID. You, you, that's all free. and That's fair game. But what you can't do is spread misinformation and lies. You can't do that. And I won't tolerate that. And, and none of you should tolerate that. As I always say, it starts from here, right? This show has its small following, but we're a bunch of influential people. We all have uh, expansive social circles. We all have some level of influence in our communities. And people look to us for good information. And so it starts here. You know, you shouldn't tolerate people. You can try to educate them as much as you want. I'm not telling you who to be friends with or who to associate with. But when it comes to platforms or it comes to uh, mediums where people can spread information, you should not tolerate misinformation that's damaging, patent falsehoods, and people who refuse to listen to logic and refuse to listen to facts and actual information. That's got to be drowned out. That can't be tolerated, period. And I do find it troubling that places like Newsmax, for instance, which has basically become Newsmax because Fox News has a level of basic uh, journalistic integrity. And Fox News has decided to call uh, Joe Biden president-elect and has decided to uh, report for the most part. I'm not talking about Carlson. I'm not talking about Hannity. I'm not talking about those partisans. I'm talking about the actual news anchors and the actual overall channel station has, for the most part, adhered to basic factual information, has adhered to basic democratic institutions, and has proceeded reporting fairly on any litigation or any irregularities that may exist, but for the most part, you know, moving on uh, the right way. But people, because they're doing that, and remember, Fox News called Arizona first. Now, was it too early to call? Some people will say it was too early to call, right? And some people will say it was not, but that's not a... That's not a partisan issue. That's just a statistician mathematical issue. Was it too early or not? I don't know. It got a hell of a lot closer than when they called it. On the, on the other hand, they called it and they were right, right? I mean, it went to Biden. There, wasn't enough, there weren't enough votes at the rate going for Trump to actually close the gap and surpass Biden. So they were right at the end. So I don't know. But either way, that's not really a partisan issue. That's just somebody calling it one way or the other. But people are now literally not watching Fox anymore. Because they're not getting the misinformation and the fake news that they want. So now they're switching to Newsmax because that gives them what they want to hear. I mean, do you realize that? We are in a time where if you don't want to hear something that's factual, there's a channel for you. There's something for you. There's a product for you to consume that will tell you what you want to hear, regardless of whether it's true. How is that 
logical? How is that allowable? How is that acceptable? How is that such a prominent thing in our society right now? It's just absurd. It's absurd. And it's very, very, very dangerous. If we have a huge segment of the population that's literally living in a fantasy world, an alternative universe of alternative facts and alternative realities, and yet they vote in the same reality and talk and work in the same reality as us, that's scary. That's scary stuff. There has to be some general standard for news reporting. I mean, opinions are one thing. Reporting different narratives is one thing. Approaching things from a different angle is one thing. But just having a a separate echo chamber where people could escape to a fake reality is a whole nother thing. And that's scary. That's scary. Imagine if a hurricane's coming and say, well, I don't want to hear about the hurricane coming. I'm going to go turn on a channel that says it's going to be sunny tomorrow, even though the hurricane's coming. And then I'm going to just live in that reality and just ignore it. Well, that's one thing if you want to put yourself at risk. But what if that guy's in charge of something and the safety of others? Or what if that guy doing not taking action is going to put others at risk? Well, then that's a real problem. So one thing I'll say about this podcast, too, is I'm glad we have our little our little listener base here. Our little listener base of maybe max 50 people per week. That's great. But I really hope it expands because while I'm sitting here with 50 people, you have Newsmax with several million people. You have Rush Limbaugh with millions of people. Mark Levin, who is actively encouraging state legislatures to actively promote and nominate faithless electors to the Electoral College to usurp the will of the majority and usurp the will of the people. He has a platform. He's on the airwaves. People advocating for that level of tyranny and anti-democratic action have followings. It's scary. It's scary. So we've really got to counteract that. And it starts with us. Not just this show. You can promote this show. I'd appreciate it. But it starts with us. Who do you talk to in your daily life? What type of information do you put out there? What do you do to shore up facts, to spread actual information, to counteract misinformation? What do you do? Because each thing that each one of us do across the country and across the world is important. It's all important. And every bit of it has a place, and every one of us has a place and a role to play in that regard. Period. So we've got to continue to do that. And I didn't mean to get so, you know, passionate and, 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 and vehement regarding that particular issue. But hey... It's true. This isn't, you you can't live in a free society and be passive, right? And we've gotten too passive in in some regards. We can't be passive. Democracy doesn't continue to healthily function. A free society does not continue to thrive when all the people are passive, or when enough people are passive, or when enough people are content to live in their own realities. It functions with continued dialogue, continued work, continued engagement, continued activism. Okay, That's how it continues to thrive. It takes work to maintain. Just like if you don't maintain your car, you don't put oil in it, you don't watch the gauges, you don't drive it correctly, or you don't maintain a building, you let it sit there dilapidated, you don't, change, you don't heat the pipes, you don't heat the water. You do that, and those things rot. And if we don't maintain the machinery and mechanics and institutions of our democracy, then our democracy will rot. 
we need to rectify the mold that has already started to overtake some of the crevices of our democracy, and at the same time continue to maintain the shiny, metallic instruments of other facets of our democracy that have continued to thrive, and we must keep them thriving. That starts with each of us. Most of us are young. Even the older listeners here are not that old. And even if you were, you have even more of a pedestal. We have a lifetime. We have a new decade, which just started, but will start anew again in January. We have a new chapter. And it's up to us to maintain this democracy. And it's up to us to maintain our society and to contribute positively and to contribute positively to our individual communities which are then part of the whole which is America which is part of the whole that is human society and human civilization and the world populace going forward we have that responsibility and I hope you'll join me in taking it seriously every day every day now look, it's it's been I love talking to you guys. And I'm glad you you turned you tuned in. I know I've heard from listeners that, you know, they much prefer they much prefer the live version, which I understand. They prefer the live version because it's you know it's an event. And I get that. We're hanging out. It's like Saturday Night Live. It's not as good when it's pre-recorded. The rerun's never as good as the live version. I I get that. Just remember I'm broadcasting this only a couple hours before you're hearing it. And at the end of the day, you know, I'll be back. I'll be back live. I get it. You want the interactivity's fun, the callers, and, and, it's, and it's a lot. I'm coming back. Just once in a while, I need a couple, couple weeks off. So what we're going to do going forward, by the way, make sure you tune into the Partisan Podcast, which is a video uh, conversation between me and my boy D-Rock, which you've seen. And we get into some of these issues, too. And it's a, it's a cool back and forth. It's another medium. And his whole channel, D-Rock Productions, is on YouTube. That's a great channel. That There's a lot going on there. So look out for our latest episode, which I just recorded with D yesterday. Uh, in the meantime, going forward, next week, I may or may not be live next week. Next week, maybe another pre-recorded version. But look, if you're recording it, find your medium, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, whatever it is. Find it. Sign up. Subscribe. You'll get the downloads automatically. And then sh- share it with your friends. Let them see it. Tonight, this podcast, share the Podbean link. If you're sitting there right now, no matter where you're listening, no matter how you're listening, it takes you a few seconds Honestly, just think about it. Just do it for me. It takes you a few seconds. Just copy that link. Say a couple lines about why you like the podcast and share it out by text or share it out on your Facebook or share it out, you know, on your Instagram. However you share things to people, just type a couple of lines in and send it out to your friends and family. Just send it out. Even the ones that might not agree. Send it out to your friends and family and see if they'll listen just to, to, to get a little uptick on this show as far as listeners are concerned. But going forward, what you can expect the next couple weeks is I'm going to have an interview with somebody who actually works for the U.S. Post Office, the United States Postal Service, who's wanted, they're a listener, and they've wanted to come on for some time to discuss the post office because of all the different rhetoric that's getting thrown around, all the information, all the conversation about the post office that's getting thrown around. Um, They wanted to come on and talk, so I'm going to have an interview with them. Now, this person works late. They, they, They usually work when the show's live and they usually can't listen till later um 
So I'm going to do a pre-recorded interview with them, and I think it's probably best to release a pre-recorded interview as part of a pre-recorded show, which is why next week's show may well be pre-recorded again. Or if not, I'll, I'll sneak it into another pre-recorded show. Um, but I'm expecting to have this person on for an interview, and I'll introduce them and, and do the interview soon. I am expecting to have Charles Riley on the show soon, but that'll be live. He's a reporter uh, for a, a periodical and a, a, a reputable news source in New Jersey, in another region of New Jersey, uh, and he does a lot of reporting there. Uh, he wants to have a discussion about you know, the far left, the moderate left, and, and the election. It's, I think it's going to be a very fruitful, very interesting conversation. He's another listener, so we're going to have him on live. Uh, very soon, within the next couple weeks. And then we are going to have Sean Bracken, who maybe will, he'll be known soon as Political Action Bracken. Uh, he'll be on soon. He's launching kind of a whole new thing himself, which is really exciting. And he'll be on to do the postmortem and to discuss the, the polling and the election and everything like that. So going forward, we have a lot of a lot of stuff lined up for you. We have a lot of guests. Even though the election subsided, I look forward to continuing to discuss logic with you, to discuss news, current events, and the happenings of the world. Um, and rest assured, even if we have a couple more pre-recorded versions, just so I could get my uh, little bit of hiatus, my little bit of relaxation in, um, we're going to be going live a great deal through the holiday season, and it'll be real fun and festive to hang out with you guys, too, on our normal Friday night uh, time and to continue the important dialogue and the important conversation. So I look forward to speaking with all of you again next week. I can't wait to see you all again live and hear from you all again live. And until then, enjoy your weekend, enjoy your week, enjoy the uh, beginning of the holiday season as Thanksgiving is fast approaching. Please stay safe. Please wear your mask. Please watch out for your family members. Please adhere to any regulations that the governments of our areas or your areas are putting out. And I will speak to all of you very soon. God bless.